Okay, welcome back to the Seek Strength podcast and of course Seek Strength YouTube. Um, so obviously we've a lot going on at the moment and we haven't had a chance to record a full episode of the podcast and anyone who's listening to the podcast though, we don't have asked them. So uh, it'll be another few days before we have another yeah. episode of uh, the good podcast out. Yeah. But we have a, another Q&A episode from our YouTube watchers and we've going to take five of those questions. We feel like five is a nice number to get them done yeah. in, the, uh, in about half an hour or so. Anything beyond that, then you start getting kind of um, getting angsty. People lose the tension, I suppose. Yeah, um, us along with them. So our first question is: What kind of core bracing cues, accessories do you use slash coach? I feel like bracing is a bit underrated, and a lot of people, even elites, get into the habit of just cranking the low back against the weight. So I assume that's in most. In most, it's either that's. I would usually think of bracing as a squat and deadlift. Yeah, I think, like. Bracing is something people tend to like focus on when they start lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, it, it's huge because if they haven't been bracing correctly and then they start bracing or they get like some kinesthetic cues or even some like just cues of being like, oh, uh, I don't know, whatever, like r- push out against the belt if you're squatting or like feel your erectors pushing out against your t-shirt it, like in the bottom of your, your snatch position then I think it just becomes second nature for so so long that mm-hmm. like when was the last time you thought about bracing your core when you squatted actually last week was the first time I thought about it in ages yeah and it's because I just seen something that triggered it so Squat University had um, something up on his thing about bracing yeah um, like randomly like once a year I'll think about it and then I'll absolutely totally forget about it because to be honest I'm thinking of absolutely nothing when I'm squatting I like, think the fu- the other funny thing is like when you get people and they'll put a belt on for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. like what they're more than likely like the positive effects of putting the belt on is is more than likely they can just feel mm-hmm. their core pushing against something, yep. and it's not the actual like physical belt holding them up. It's just they're squeezing their core a small bit better into it. So my biggest issue when people are s- bracing in the squat and deadlift, so we're talking about like strength athletes, powerlifters now as well, and weightlifters, everyone does this right. So they'll set up, get into a great position they'll get like that's a great position to go from and then immediately lose the brace yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it completely defined the defeats the purpose so like they'll get set up in the squat they'll breathe out really hard into their stomach they'll have a great like position they'll yeah. rollbackly tilt it back a little bit they're ready to squat and then as soon as they squat the brace is totally gone or they'll break they'll hold it for a little bit and then when they get to the most important part of the squat changing like a fighting gravity trying to change direction yeah. they'll totally lose all of their bracing <laughs> or when they go to deadlift They'll have get set, their shoulders will be set a little bit. They're like nice, strong position. And then they'll do that butt wink. Yeah, and then as they yeah, pull it, yeah. it's gone. So the biggest issue for us, I think, are what you see people when they are uh, bracing is they just lose it as soon as they start to lift. Yeah. So any kind of bracing is better. It's very intuitive. You don't have to teach people to do it, I think. Yeah. And so once someone has any kind of bracing, the most important part is keeping the brace, actually using the brace for what you want it for during the lift. In terms of the Olympic lifts, um, I'm not a huge fan of bracing. Um as in, in terms of thinking, not teaching it, you know, it's it's a very, like, that lot of pressure can really fuck up other parts of the, uh, no, I'm not talking about not being stable in your lifts. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's a big difference between, like, actively not bracing, which obviously isn't good, and yeah. then there's, like, when you look like you're setting up for, like, a deadlift 1RM and yeah. you're taking all the tension out of the bar, like, yeah. that's, that's not conducive to having a good first and second pull. Or when you see people going for, like, a split jerk and they're like, <laughs> do you know, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like multiple breaths trying to set up the tightest core possible and yeah. then inevitably lose it when they go through the jerk. Yeah, so. in terms of accessory exercises, then mm-hmm. 
I think just having really, really strong erectors is your yep. numero uno, uh, like prone back extension holes, yep. reverse hypers, anything where you're really, really targeting lower back. They are, they should be at the, f- the start and end of every session if you're somebody who struggles with it mm-hmm. um, or for youth lifters or just for like even lighter weight class lifters who struggle with that kind of hypermobility through the spine. Uh, just put loads of back extensions, even just like lying on the floor, back extension holds. Um, they're very, very good. Then just go with like your standard weighted sit-ups, weighted GHD sit-ups, normal sit-ups, L-sits, V-ups, all those things just for anterior core work. Uh, I think the main thing here is that you're doing like like MRV, like maximum recoverable volume. Uh, you need to make sure you're your core work isn't having like a negative influence on the rest of your lifts but getting as much as possible in yep so keep the brace throughout the lift and do any amount of core lower back work and you should be good yeah so just learning how to keep it and then just being proactive about a lot of things and you'll get a lot better yeah as with a lot of things in in any kind of strength training or sport so next one is uh, other than starting young in weightlifting what sport would be the best for becoming a weightlifter so basically anything yeah pretty much like, I would like so if you're a male right yeah. there's certain things you're going to struggle with if you've played a field sport or if you've sprinted or you've done a power sport in inverted commas you're going to have trouble with things like ankle mobility if you're involved in a contact sport you'll probably have struggles overhead with overhead mobility if you benched a lot when you were younger you're going to have like mobility issues are just you're going to have to work through them obviously sports where you have a large amount of injuries uh, like standard amounts of injuries per year that's going to negatively affect you being a weightlifter uh, I think if you're a kid or you have a kid or you know somebody who is looking to get a kid into weightlifting uh, gymnastics is a very very good one uh, and then obviously you're looking at like, like certain it. physiological things like fast twitch muscle fiber is good somebody who's running like uh, if you've like a half marathon runner you're not you're not a fast twitch athlete um, if you're a long distance swimmer, it's probably not ideal, but uh, sprinting, bounding, triple jump, any throwers like discus throwers, shot putters, all of these like high power output athletes are going to be predisposed to having more of the fast twitch muscle fibers. So that's what I'd be looking at. I'm just going to say if you're looking to steal a kid as well, gymnastics is probably a good place. To steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would think like if you could have sprinting and gymnastics, so you would have negate a lot of those mobility issues yeah. and then you obviously had the sprinting so like fastest training but you're moving your body through space with both of those sometimes you do see is the kind of gymnastics athletes who come from gymnastics to weightlifting have a kind of a weird like have that kind of looseness to their joints yeah. that is very hard to bring back that kind of stability to your joints and it, it does seem to be a problem with uh, overstre- not overstretching but overstretching in terms of coming to weightlifting so for gymnastics they obviously need that those ranges of motion Yeah. but when you get to kind of um, getting into weightlifting bringing that rigidity back can be quite difficult so we're talking about moderate amounts of gymnastics yeah. so male orientated gymnastics so like the you know kind of pommel horse you know and like um kind of rings and stuff like that would be great yeah but then if you you know some you see more uh, female lifters in particular when they come from gymnastics is sometimes now not all the time obviously but they have a little bit of too much looseness to their joints but if you had like but that is like that's yeah. something you can work on the same yeah. way 
if you've like a lack of mobility or a lack of flexibility, you can work on that. And it's the same way you can like tighten those things up again. At gymnastics will be like if you were to rob a kid. Yeah. Um gymnastics. And make a weightlifter. Yeah, gymnastics. And some sprinting. Maybe not maybe the shortest sprints like 60 is 60 meters the shortest um yeah 60 yard dash 60 yard dash like the problem with with any of the sprinting and jumping is you're going to have the ankle mobility and the yeah. knee and ankle stiffness um which is very good for sprinting but not very good for weightlifting but if you, if you got them from the age of like 6 to 11 say, yeah so if they'd done some sprinting so they learned what sprinting was and they trained that kind of yeah that whole system while also doing gymnastics and then you stole them at age 11 so before their ankles so they before they really got a lot of testosterone yeah. kind of initiating so i prefer to steal them before 11 so like 10 I, yeah eight nine, eight, eight to ten i'd say so you're only seeing like yeah so like if, they if you like could steal years, a kid yeah whose parents had been like if his father was a shot putter yeah and his mother was a sprinter yes and the kid had done gymnastics since they were four until they were eight or nine mm-hmm. that's optimal i'd say yeah so if you if you let them do from like kind of six to nine bit of gymnastics bit of um it's just like a really long gpp phase so you got your gymnastics sprinting and then steal them around nine and they're ready to go for weight yeah uh yeah and just as he's pulling up the next question like sports like judo um and like mma or like uh brazilian jiu-jitsu like those sports have like a high power output great amounts of grip strength they're like powerful around the hips uh they'd obviously be good for weightlifting but it is that thing of if you're coming in as a 25 year old or 30 year old or 35 year old you're going to have some amount of injuries built up from that a lot of the time it's around the elbows and around the shoulders which isn't ideal uh is it too late for the prehab maintenance stage and you've torn your hand up already so how do you approach your planned sessions after ensure callus recovery so we're actually doing a video on this next week are we yeah the support system but we'll answer it now so my answer to this is like the best way to nah, to lose fat is never get fat so <laughs> don't let your calluses build up so don't let it happen yeah that's probably the best answer so yeah what, like you, you, do- you you need to preemptively be shaving callus and and like whatever you're using if it's a pulmonary stone or whatever yeah. if you have calluses building up in your hands your hands aren't really ready to be accepting weights um and uh, like, look, we coach a lot of people. We give a lot of people high volume stuff. But if if the volume is to the point where you're consistently tearing your hands, mm-hmm. then you need to look at altering. Like, first you look at altering your habits so you get better hands. Uh, but then you look at altering volume where you're hanging or volume where you're pulling. Uh, and then those tears and those ruptures don't become as much of an issue. So the kind of the big tree would be washing, moisturize, and then um, eradicating the calluses would be... There needs to be a trendier triple. I'd actually, I'd actually take moisturizing out of it. Yeah, that's because you know when people some of us just have strong hands. So if you train an awful lot, so you're probably over moisturizing your hands because you're getting. I've never moisturized my hands. See, but if you did though, you're probably too supple. But if you're training like seven times a week with weightlifting, eventually you're going to get very. I wouldn't have that issue. You don't think you'd have that issue? No. Yeah, whatever. So next question is, how would you say? Oh, how would you say? How useful would you say reading Soviet texts are? Sorry, Jesus Christ. Sorry about that, lads. Um, I would say it's very, very not useful. And then in about 78 years, you can read them again and then you'll have a little bit more context in them. So I remember reading R.A. Roman's uh, The Training of a Weightlifter back after I'd say about two years of weightlifting. I read the full thing start to finish and I had the notion of what was in that book. Nothing meant anything to me. But yeah, I read it again there recently this year and obviously there was, I had massively more uh, I'd way more understanding of what was going on I could put into context some of the things he was saying so he had one on technique and then he has one on like you know actual programming for weightlifters and all of it 
was much more useful so I could I could like categorize some of the things he was saying apply them to myself apply them to lifters think mm-hmm. about how I could use them whereas when I read it after just after I started weightlifting it was borderline useless but I would say there's no harm in reading it now because you're better off having good information you're better off reading good information than never having read it at all but understand yeah. that it may mean absolutely nothing to you you won't understand it you won't be able to apply it realistically and then after a couple of years of digesting it and you go back and read it again you will get a lot more out of it yeah I think the, the like the, the point you mentioned there is like more information is never bad uh, so like even if like your experience or whatever like you're just your the training you're doing at the moment mightn't be nuanced enough or the book might be so kind of specific in one area that it doesn't apply to you now but it might apply to you in two years time or you might see something a system of progression in a few years time in a program that you're given by a different coach and you're saying oh i kind of see some parallels here uh that's why with like every single training book you can possibly get read it like even the horrendous ones like the will we mention the name uh yeah like a lot of the american books are horrendous greg Everett. uh like i wouldn't read that book to be honest because i've read it and it's shite but like there's a lot of like just read as much as you possibly can and then after you've read a certain amount you can kind of be like okay well that's that's useless so obviously there will be it's like we will have a secret strength training manual coming out in the next few months but obviously it takes a long time to write a book and we don't want just the um we can't even get time to record podcasts we barely get time to record podcasts but we will have more time soon um but i would say it's never bad like fit said it's never a bad idea to have read good information and like he was saying as well something in the book may prompt you to try something and this is what you know learning a sport when you come into later into life when it's a hobby for you and it's something you enjoy is then the book might say we don't recommend going over 110% in pulls and then you try it for a while and then you realise it didn't make your clean and jerk better and then you go 150% in pulls and you realise it did make your clean and jerk better so it starts a whole chain of events in your brain thinking about how training works thinking about how things work for you you know and learning that just because something is in a good training book it may not be the best piece Applicable of information to you yeah it may yeah. mean you learn how to put context on things uh, so I have a really quick one here where'd really you, quick one where do you boys get jeans pants that contain a thickness so Levi 5G1s are the best <laughs> they're expensive but they're well worth it if you've got a dump truck ass if you want um, these are new ones now I got yeah buying jeans is an awful it's awful. an awful like uh, if you're in Ireland or the UK or Europe M&M Direct there's a brand on there called Kangaroo Poo yeah and uh, yeah they have like I don't know is it like fitness stretch or muscle stretch or something but those jeans are quite good I think they're the jeans that I um, failed one night in um, <clears throat> do you guys prefer to train by percentage RP reps and reserve or a good mix I imagine it's mostly percentage based for weightlifting but what about when you're training for the 290 squat so so we I can tell you what we don't do we don't like <laughs> RPE at all in absolutely no context have we ever gone that RPE would be useful yeah and we should uh, probably do a separate video on that yeah we'll do a theory training on that mm-hmm. uh, but at the moment so we actually I like we really like reps and reserve as a, as, um, as a concept when you are doing assistance exercise yeah so we like if people cause people so obviously a lot of people we interact with aren't always uh, they're not weightlifters sometimes their people are like powerlifters or just people will say you know they want to get a little bit more hypertrophy and a bit more mass or something like that or 
we'll say we'd recommend reps in reserve in terms of the assistance exercise you push it in and you'd say like keep two reps in reserve or something yeah. like that or maybe one or three or something you know so that that is very useful in that context because you want to push a little bit more for hypertrophy but reps in reserve obviously then for weightlifting is borderline useless mm-hmm. and then percentage is mostly what we go off of so we yeah. base you would start with a percentage based and then you would progress off what you did that week so say week one of four you'll have your percentage 80% or whatever and then we'll progress accordingly from yeah. that and um, there is a good reason why we do percentage work is because you have to work off what your max is so what you feel like is borderline useless most of the time because it's so subjective how weights feel from week to week session to session so many things affect how you feel like your your sleep your nutrition sodium levels your yeah. testosterone levels like how much arms you're taking how many <laughs> kids you stole from gymnastics like all of these things yeah massively affect your perception and i think as a coach you should be aware of what percentages look like for people yeah. what a reasonable progression should be across starting from one percentage and ultimately you have to work in certain percentages to make progress yeah and i think the thing of like as a coach you understand what this percentage should look like so if you understand that five by five at 75 percent should be what like this is what the squats will look like. This is what the recovery curve will look like. This is um, how much we'll expect to progress that from week to week. That's just something you learn. The thing with RP and like oh, powerlifters like using RP because powerlifting is very much like blocked and this is very specific and things don't change week to week and you just gradually put one more shovel of sand into the wheelbarrow each time. With weightlifting, things are so qualitative. And Gerf spoke earlier about, like, you understand what things look like. RPE means almost nothing because it's such a discrete movement. Like, a snatch will just be like this. How am I supposed to know what I feel like during the snatch? But we, like, we don't even use it. We don't use RPE in our powerlifting. Nev- no, 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 no. Because, because we're not interacting with people on a daily basis. Uh, I think look, this sounds bad, but... RPE is a very easy way of being like kind of lazy with programs uh, because it's like, oh, well, how did that one feel? Oh, yeah, well, Jesus, uh, that one felt heavy. Like the your ability to feel anything during a discrete movement like that is null and void. You don't you're not processing things like that. Obviously, after a lift, you might be that felt heavy or that didn't feel heavy. But like the speed and the acceleration curve in the bar might be identical or might even have been better on the one that felt heavy so it doesn't really matter we'll never ever use it like so often you lift a weight and you let's say you squat 200 kilos and it feels massively heavy and then you go to 220 and it feels easier yeah that happens so many sessions like weights are so subjective and going heavier sometimes feel better like if you use in weightlifting if you uh in use if you use a weight type kind of training and i talk about some of the vlogs Sometimes, like, let's say I'm doing a wave of 110, 120, 130, and the first wave at 110 will be, the first set at 110 will feel awful, and then you push on to 120, and the 120 feels a little better, and then the 130 feels better, and then you'll go back to the 110 and it'll feel better again. Yeah. Like, the weights are too subjective sometimes. Yeah. Across it, all spectrums, I think. And, it like, the RPE scale was done with, like, aerobic exercise, and I think it was aerobic exercise and either heart rate or, or blood pressure. And it was 6 to 20 or something. Yeah, and, like so it works well in that right because you're you're in a period of work that's that's long enough for you to actually feel something so you can perceive a rate of exertion or you understand how much you're exerting yourself and you can consciously or subconsciously process that during a lift there there is no time and like 
everybody knows themselves that like it doesn't really matter how good you feel. Obviously, with injuries and, and with muscle fatigue and stuff like that, it's very, very different. But in terms of a performance marker, it's not really important. Uh, the last point in that as well is that obviously we do use some auto regulation programs because, yeah. because outside factors do affect your training. And while you should still aim to get what you need to do, because that's what you need to do to progress. Uh, if you not, if it's not going to happen that day because of other reasons, then you have to accept that that is what you need to take a break from. Like you yeah. need to adjust and then go lighter or whatever. But the goal should always be to hit what you need to hit. You know, you should it should be planned accordingly. Yeah. Uh, what are we on there? Uh, we're on twenty. So last question. Um, I've been told that you can't, or maybe it's better said, shouldn't do heavy squat programs at the same time as heavy deadlift program. You've been told correctly. <laughs> My question is: Is this true for one? And is it true for a cycle focused heavily on pressing and squats? If so, what should one do with other lifts while focused on a certain area? So I, can I start it. this? You've got it. Gareth has a video up on training resources. And like all these questions of doing this while I do this, do this while I do this, do a bit of this while I do a bit of this. All you have to think about is you have a certain amount of training. Like, will we link it in the vi- in the description? There'll be a link to this video in the description. But uh, everything you do just draws from that pool of resources. The thing with heavy squats and heavy deadlifts is the neural fatigue is so vastly greater than any other activity you'll do so like a heavy deadlift will take 10 11 days to neurally recover from so like your central and peripheral nervous system gets incredibly fired up and that doesn't just go away like lactate goes away or it doesn't go away like a bit of doms will go away like that takes a long time for that fatigue to trickle out of your system Uh, and then obviously if you're doing something like heavy squats combined with heavy deadlifts uh, that neural fatigue will be huge that's why the seek a pull program one of the reasons is it's 10 weeks because we knew people would run rote anywhere squat program yeah. and the pull program so the squat <laughs> program finishes in week 8 and the pull program will finish in week 10 um, now that said you can't progress both of them but you definitely can't max either of them or go for extremely heavy lifts within the same week of both of them and like if you want to make moderate increases across a large amount of things you can definitely do that mm-hmm. you know you can bring all the ships up at the same time but all the ships are just barely being raised at the same time if you want to make one shoot up then you can obviously make one shoot up i think like the thing of prioritizing goals and prioritizing and, and setting out when we're going to achieve different things is quite difficult and it's definitely quite difficult if you haven't run uh, programs like this before distinct standalone programs it can be quite difficult to say I understand this is an eight-week block. In total, it's going to take 12 weeks of my training because there'll be a bit of prep. I'll probably miss a week in the middle and then there'll be a week of recovery at the end. Uh, But like the more you run these discrete programs and the more you run standalone blocks and specific goal-orientated training programs, you'll understand that like, okay, this works for this amount of time. Uh, I'll get this stimulus from it and this effect uh, or... I know that I can now join two of those together. I would say just be always be more conservative with the amount of things you're trying to achieve at one time than trying to kind of get everything way better. Okay, thanks for watching and listening. Um, just uh, obviously a final plug, seekstrain.com for all of your basically programming needs. 
seek a roll to nearest car program, eight yeah. weeks car program, seek a press, eight week practice program, seek a pull will be coming in the next few weeks, ten week deadlift program, seek a weightlifting, continuous uh, weightlifting program all year round, seek a powerlifting is the same, seek a strength for fitness athletes, uh, read CrossFit athletes, but we can't use the word CrossFit <laughs> because of the old trademarking. Yeah. And then obviously if you're an athlete in the off season, we have um, a few blocks of an off season athlete program, which we know we've had a couple of people um, works very well works very well it's uh, it's pretty grim we've had some of our weightlifters <laughs> now since they came back from the old uh, quarantine yeah actually I think we yeah. should mention this that yeah. weightlifters think they do loads of volume when they start with us mm-hmm. um, or like in general people yeah. will be like Jesus block two and three are pretty tough you know mm-hmm. uh, and then they do an off season block and they're like okay that was all kinds of volume. And then finally we have one to one coaching. So there's currently a little bit of weightlifting for that, but uh one to one in weightlifting or powerlifting, um Fitz will be taking on some real, real athletes. athletes. Um in a few months. A few months September maybe I think. September. And then we will also have there's consultancy work, but obviously that's not for that's more for people who kind of have to program for other people or coaches. But obviously, if people want to set that up, um, it's not who we had in, in mind for. But if you're an athlete and you're trying to look looking to get better, then that's there for you. But a lot of time that's for like gym owners, people yeah. who coach teams and stuff like that and who need work or maybe kind of more higher level athletes who need to sort out some things. And it's there for them. Um, that Just email us for that. It'll be on the website soon, but if you're yeah. looking for it, then go for it. Um, but, you know, just one thing on that is for the athletes, if you're just looking to get your back squat better um, you don't need to set that up with us um, no you can just email us and ask us a question if you want or DM us and seek a strength or just get the growth in your squat program and your squat will get better or if you have questions when the Q&A options come up just ask them there yeah okay thanks for listening slash watching thanks guys